Hello, hello, hello. Good morning, good night, and good afternoon, and welcome back to another episode of Diaspora Children of Indenture with me, Alex Bacchus. I use they, them pronouns. And you're listening to episode 10C, the third and final part of our podcast exploring drag, gender-based performance, and the links with those descending from South Asian indenture living in diaspora. The children of indenture in this episode include Chifawine, Mixquest, Bijuria, and Sundri, the Indian goddess. Make sure you follow them on the social medias. Make sure you pay attention to their work and what's coming up for them, especially if you're enjoying their work. If you've been enjoying this podcast, don't forget to check out the Instagram page at Diceberg Children of Indenture. Turn on notifications to make sure you're the first to know what's happening next. You can check out the webpage of the Digital Humanities site with the link in the bio of our Instagram page. But for now, let's get back into our conversation. The next question I have is about language. And what languages do you associate with your upbringing, with your culture, and with your craft? And maybe there are links between those three, or maybe there aren't. Uh, do you want to start again, Bijou? Uh, yeah, but um, could you... I'm not sure I understand what languages... I will repeat the question. What languages do you associate with your upbringing, with your culture and your craft? And in craft, I, I'm thinking of your gender-based performance. And are there overlaps between the three, between the languages of your upbringing and culture and your craft? Or uh, maybe those are those are uh, languages that you feel are separated uh, or, or not not related? Can we start with someone else, just so I, I, I grasp it a little bit more? Yeah, do you want to go with that question, Sundri? Sure. Um, I, I, I too had a little difficult time trying to uh, come up with some answers for this. Uh, but I think I, um, I think here we go. <laughs> um, I, for myself, uh, as far as my upbringing, you know, in, in Guyana, uh, in my household, you know, we spoke Guyanese Creole um, and, um, you know, predominantly growing up, it was uh, supposed to be English, uh, British English. Um, and, you know, moving even now still in my household, we use Guyanese Creole. Um, we come up, grow up we, growing up, we always watched Bollywood movies, not knowing Hindi at all. Um, or having the opportunity to learn Hindi, where my um, great-grandparents actually did know Hindi. Um, unfortunately, my parents um, did not get to learn Hindi, nor did I. Uh, so a lot of times, you know, we would be watching Bollywood movies, we we're trying to understand Hindi. But uh, in, in the same aspect of growing up, in our household, we were also learning Urdu um, because, of course, our background being um, being Muslim, and you know there were various different languages that we were we grew up with, um, but predominantly English or Guyanese Creole is majority of what I grew up grew up with. As far as my cultural and craft and dancing and being Sundari, the Indian goddess, I think 
a lot of the language that are um, expressed and used um, predominantly is um, I would probably say Hindi. A lot of times it would most likely be um, Bhojpuri um, from the Chutney music that she normally performs. Um, sometimes it would be um, Guyanese Creole, of course, uh, you know, in bridging gaps and showing various different um, identities of how we have, um, you know, migrated from the um, from Guyana to here in the U.S. and being able to bridge various different cultural gaps when she's performing with um, our soca and chutney music. Um, and a lot of this comes from, you know, the Guyanese background and the Caribbean languages. Thank you. Would you like to go next, Tifa? Sure. Um, I'd say in terms of languages that I grew up hearing, obviously like my Trinidadian family spoke Creole. Um, and <laughs> I, mean, I don't really have much more to say, but that was basically it. And then besides, you know, just like kind of standard English, um, that was basically it. I guess something that I want to say generally is like, there's no correct answer to any of these questions. The The answers are the truths of your experiences and what you lived, what you experienced, what you experience today, That that is truth, that is the answer. And you're all doing beautiful. You're doing great. Tens, tens, tens across the board. Does, uh, does Miss Tanti Tifawine um, employ the same languages in in her craft in your craft uh in in drag that you consider to be part of your upbringing and culture oh okay um yeah well 100 percent because most of the numbers i'm pretty um pretty adamant about centering again queer caribbean histories and stories and, and all the numbers that i do um and again the sort of numbers and story storytelling i do is you know poking fun um as sort of these sort of tanty feminist sort of messages that we get from real people in our lives all the time. So, you know, like I have a bunch of numbers about like my supposed, you know, imaginary husband like cheating on me. And so I'll use like songs like like my very first drag number that people really loved was this whole remix I did of Who the Hell is Kim, um, which is a song about a, a woman supposedly finding a male partner cheating on her and she's asking him um, about all these questions and sort of all these sorts of very narrative poetic forms that are rooted in like soca music are really important to me. So I think also like the body and the, the art and the music also carries a language all of its own. Um, I'm not a dancer, so um, I do a lot of comedic kind of storytelling in my work because it's what comes most naturally to me. Um, and I kind of pair different archives together that are from pop culture, that are from Caribbean pop culture, um, that are very Toronto specific as well, um, to kind of create these narratives that are relevant and uh, meaningful to the people that I'm presenting them to, right, to the audience. And so I think sometimes it merges between like Creole and English and, you know, other forms of languages that are rooted in the space of Toronto. But um, I hope that's answering your question. No, you did perfect. Thank you. That was wonderful. The reason why I asked this question is that the, there's so much diversity in different indentured diasporas and not 
all people are aware of the diversity or perhaps some of the the audience may not even be from an uh, um, indentured diaspora heritage in, in some capacity and may not completely understand this and maybe there's maybe there might be preconceived ideas or expectations that because we descend from South Asian indentured labor for some reason we have to speak a South Asian language and for some people that is the case uh, whether for example we're talking about uh in indo-fijian speaking fiji hindi or um uh sarnami hindustani people speaking sarnami hindustani um that that's another example uh but then again there are many people who have not or through the the realities and and hit the the realities of colonialism south asian language retention did not occur for a number of different uh diasporas um but Imogen and Sydney, would the two of you like to go next? Yes. Um, so both of my parents only speak English. So I was raised in an English-speaking home, but um, I did learn French uh, through school. So I spoke French as well in bilingual education um, all the way through kindergarten through high school. Um, so that is, uh, those are the languages that I know in my day-to-day -day experience and that I can work with in my day-to-day -day experience. Um, despite living in India for a year, I learned like less than 10 words in Hindi. I had the best of intentions, but no idea how to execute them. Um, so that's always been something I don't know, maybe someday it would be cool, maybe not. Um, and yeah, in terms of incorporating it into my dragon burlesque practices, um, I want to incorporate uh, more songs pertaining to the assorted cultures I come from. But I very much come from a place where I feel, because I didn't have enough exposure uh, my whole life to Indian and to South Asian and to Indo-Caribbean cultures, that um, I don't know where to start and I don't want to approach these things. I don't want to present something on stage incorrectly. So it's definitely something things that I would like to do with my artistic practices and being able to present my vision of how I see myself as an Indo-Caribbean person on stage is something I want to do. And from a costuming perspective, um, I do understand how to do that. But from a musical perspective, um, I just don't know where to start because there is such a wealth of options available to me that, um, yeah, there's just too much to pick from. So that's where I'm at with that. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. I just have to ask one other question because I'm a nerd and very curious. And is Cornwall uh, and in that part of Ontario that is considered bilingual? It is actually. Um, I remember in university having to uh, in a French class doing a project from where I came from, and that's where I learned that uh, Cornwall is considered a city in Canada that is like officially actually bilingual. And there is like a French part of town and stuff like that, where the people that primarily speak French, um, yeah, they tend to hang out together and speak French together. Uh, yeah, that's a, like a really interesting 
because I do find living in Toronto, uh, the further west I moved in Ontario, uh, growing up, that uh, actually even moving in high school when it went an hour away to Brockville, and then all of a sudden, the rest of Ontario, very few places, it's they're primarily English speaking, and I was like, oh, that's that's a curious thing. So I'm not as confident in my French speaking as I used to be. I know it's still there. I just don't have an opportunity to use it very much. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's just my own, my own nerding out, uh, separate from this podcast. But actually, there there was a section that I did on on people of the francophone experience um, descending from indenture, various layers. But that is episodes. I think four, five, and six, and I forget which number we are currently on. But uh, Bijuria, would you like to respond to the question? Yeah, I actually love the question and have many ways of answering it so where were you on this part of the podcast i episodes three, four five and six well uh, i'm phone. but continue sorry yeah i i guess um uh like i'm french speaking it's actually like my mother tongue which me which explains why i was so confused with the <laughs> might explain why i was confused because I, I my brain went to language as like levels of language or what not like actual languages which was a, a weird brain fart to have but yeah so i was born uh speaking french uh with my mom and uh my school and all that but i did speak english with my dad um and uh i okay so this is a really complex um <laughs> discussion but that i'll try my best reality of identity so like not easy but thank you for for your patience and trying to answer the question yes <laughs> so french for me is uh it feels like my my own language uh, just because you know the first language you learn is is the one you think of, uh, you think in, and that you dream in or whatever. Um, and uh, but th the thing I've encountered is that well, my networks are very bilingual, and uh, my academic language is more English. And because of my uh, my um, desire to engage with my uh, non-Quebecois side through art and through drag, I use English a lot, you know, on, on social media and all that. So that puts me in, uh, uh, in a situation where sometimes I have to, uh, when I use French or incorporate it to my drag or um, in terms of like song choice, but also of like just captions, you know, on social media or the language that you post and, and all, all these questions. Sometimes I, I feel I have to post in French or, or I choose to, to um, post in French because there is a sense in Quebec of Quebecois identity being very white and it's not true. You know, it's, it's just not the truth, but the nationalist kind of... Um, uh, view of what a Quebecois identity is and the imagine what, what a Quebecois is and that imagination is white. So I am the type of person that gets very um, annoyed or, or when I'm living my day-to-day -day life in Quebec and I speak in French and a Quebecois person answers in English assuming that it's not my first language. Um, because that's just and 
because the truth is there are many people of color um, whose first language is French uh, uh, who have been here for, you know, born here and all that, but also lots of the immigrant communities in Quebec uh, would speak French, you know, so it's, it's just, um, it's something that I have to uh, keep kind of showing um, uh, because my drag is so kind of leads so much into these other types of music and I lip sync in, in Hindi a lot and I, so I have to kind of, um, uh, showcase my french speaking uh, uh, side of me to kind of represent the fact that to kind of break that assumption because uh, uh, th th it's a problem like people will always switch languages and i don't mind because i can speak english fine and i could sometimes i'm i don't have the energy to deal and i just talk english speak english with, with people that i very much know from uh, the context or their accent that are you know French French speaking uh, first, you know. So there's lots of of that complicated stuff about how I use French in in my drag or in my drag persona or how I communicate on social media. But um, so that's one part of the answer, and that was pretty long. Sorry. Um, the other thing is. Uh, how Hindi ties in because I don't speak Hindi but I've picked up a lot of it from movies um, and songs and music um, so for me lip-syncing becomes something kind of interesting because I can definitely lip-sync songs in Hindi that I wouldn't feel comfortable uh, singing or that I'd feel very uh, self-conscious trying to sing because of accent so uh, or or being like clocked <laughs> in a way like uh, but uh, that's interesting to me but I'm trying to to also m m see how that doesn't have to be a problem because uh, I'm realizing and I that you know Hindi is the kind of dominant language that is used but it's not everyone's first language even within India so um, people will speak Hindi with lots of different accents and that's fine you know so maybe at some point I'll feel uh, the courage to like sing in Hindi or learn a song and and do it or in another language but um, so I think about language a lot um, uh, in, in drag for both those reasons and um, I think that I, I think a lot about voice and vo vocal sound and also the style of singing that you have in in, um, in Bollywood and me thinking like really enjoying that vocal kind of color that isn't the same that you would have in other pop vocal styles that are from other cultures or in the in mainstream kind of pop culture. So yeah, those are my messy thoughts, but um, I I. I I think about language a lot, for sure. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate that. And I know I know you were apologizing a little bit for like a long answer. And you said like, you know, your thoughts are messy. But the truth is like identity is so complex. There's so many layers and it is so messy. And I appreciate your reflection in, in the answer. And I've realized we don't have a lot of time left and we've also been going at it for a while and I wanted to pose sort of one last general question uh, and perhaps I might just look at the last several questions that we have and you can answer whatever you feel most drawn to but one thing that I think would be interesting are what are misconceptions 
that people have about your ethnic identity and perhaps also your art form. But then I also encourage you to think of the questions, what does drag mean to you? And is your art important or not just drag, but I'm sorry, also your other uh, your other gender-based performances? And um, how is art important to queer and trans people of the identities you hold? And perhaps it might that that might be aimed at people of the same identities or similar and overlapping identities. And is there something, whether that be a social issue or something special about your culture or your art form that you wish for the greater world to know? Tifa, would you like to answer that question? Or grouping of questions? For sure. Um, Alex, can you just repeat the last one? Yes, what was the question? Is there something, whether that be a social issue or something special, whether that be about your culture or your art that you wish for the world to know? Sure. Um, I would say I think one of the major things about thinking through and thinking with um, the Caribbean um, is that it's this place um, uh, it's this place that one of my supervisors always describes as is the first site of what we now call multiculturalism, right? And it's sort of the first place that becomes the, the, the geography in which um, European colonial forces bring, you know, indigenous, black, East Asian, South Asian, um, and all these other forms of ethnic and racial formations and the languages we use to describe those ethnic and racial formations today, where they kind of have to cohabitate space and not always peacefully. Um, and I think the Caribbean is so important again for thinking about queerness because it helps us to think through this history and archive of multiplicity and mobility. The Caribbean always evades sort of rigidity and fixity. And I think all the people who have spoken today have talked about this as there's no one particular way of being Indo-Caribbean or Indian or South Asian or whatever. These are all kind of state constructed formations um, to box us in to categories, right? So that we're easier to read and we're easier to surveil and we're easier to regulate. And so I think drag is so important because like the Caribbean, it is not bound by just one thing and it's not insular and it's not fixed and it's always moving and it's always being shaped um, despite, you know, powers like in North America that try to pinpoint drag as, you know, one particular thing. Um, you know, I think, you know, I, I produced this event that I produced, Drag Diasporas. We had a really good conversation uh, two weeks ago with Halloween, who was uh, on the show Dragula. Um, and we were talking about women and AFAP and trans performers in a space like drag, which is so male dominated. Um, and having lots of conversations about how drag really helps us rehearse what a post binary world or a post heteronormative world could look like. I think. What we're doing in drag with every performance is we're always rehearsing. We're always rehearsing, you know, visions for the future or visions for the now, or we're experimenting with ideas that disrupt the normative all the time. Um, and so drag for me is, you know, I would say when I first started drag, I probably thought it was about, you know, playing with gender or being ambiguous, but really, um, drag for me is about rehearsal for a, a world in which normative gender no longer dictates how we can live in the world, right? Drag is a, is a, a testing ground for experimenting in a post-heteronormative um, community or society. And so I think for a lot of us now, it's less about 
cross-dressing in quotations um, or moving between you know masculinity and femininity although for some it can be that but I think it's about understanding or coming trying to come to an individual understanding of how we can evade or work to evade the structures that are so confining um, and regulatory and sometimes very harmful and dangerous um, and yeah and I think what was the first part of the question <laughs> sorry I'm trying to remember um, there, no, there were there were multiple questions. So, both uh, misconceptions that people might have about your ethnic identity and your art form. What does drag mean to you? Um, how is your art important to queer and trans people of your ethnic identities, and maybe even other people with similar uh, overlapping or completely different backgrounds? Right. Okay. So, yeah, I think also. I mean, obviously, I made a very specific decision in calling myself Tifa Wine and say not something like a Drupati or Andrani, you know, <laughs> something like very uh, Kuli-centric or Indo-Caribbean-centric. Um, because again, my art and my work is not just about the Indo-Caribbean. I think it moves through the Indo-Caribbean. Um, but again, the Indo-Caribbean as a thing is is not the same thing as South Asian-ness or brownness or, uh, or any other sort of parallel sort of racial formations. Indo-Caribbean-ness only comes into being um, through its encounter with indigeneity and blackness. And so for me, I think about, you know, I also come from a non-Hindu, a non-Muslim family. My my whole family is Christian. And so um, I also wanted to speak to these, again, these sort of multiple um, histories that are colliding with one another, that think through things like the afterlife of slavery and indenture and settler colonialism that are impacting us all the time. Um, and so, you know, even though I use a lot of Caribbean sound in my work, these sort of histories I'm drawing upon are not just regional histories, but are transnational histories that move in and outside of the Caribbean and its diasporas. Um, yeah, and I think it's also to to show us the work that we need to continue doing um, in the space um, in the space of our in our cities or the, the places that we occupy. Um, and for some reasons, like we've talked about in our other podcasts, like what Alex said is, you know, I am very adamant about naming cooliness and all the work that I do, both, you know, my drag work, my other artistic work, but also in my research, like my, my research is all around what does this language of cooliness offer us and how do queer and trans people take that up as a way to understand who they are in, in relation to these, these histories. Um, and I would, so I would say, you know, all the work that we do as drag artists is not just about ourselves. And I think we're really facing this problem of like identity politics in the 21st century where we, you know, to be successful, you know, you have to name your ethnicity and you have to be the only person from that community doing that work. And we see it on Drag Race all the time, right? Um, but I think the hard work is actually seeing how our work, how we are deeply engaged in translation of our work to other communities because none of our struggles are insular and none of our struggles only impact us, right? It's not just about, you know, like as Black feminist uh, Audre Lorde says, like all struggle is collective, right? There is no such thing as liberation if it is not collective. And so I think what the scary part is, is when we start to only think about me, myself and I, or we the Indo-Caribbean, or we the queers, or we the Caribbean, we start to very easily lose track of these sorts of itineraries and roots that all these um, marginalizations or oppressions or justice movements um, have moved in and outside both our communities and others. So I think the work of drag um, is to really open up, again, this, this notion of rehearsal to think forward and to move us forward. Thank you. I really appreciate the reflection in your answer. Would you like to go next, Imogen and Sydney? 
Um, okay. It's very hard to follow Professor Wine. Uh, and like all of this, like, I just learned so much just from listening to that, um, which is how I feel when I hang out with you. This is cool. <laughs> we were just watching uh, lecture. Like, we, we had, we need a punctuation, I think. Yeah. I feel I feel you should drop your lecturing fee and your PayPal in the chat after that. That was beautiful. Um, yeah, so I have to say, uh, learning about my culture as an Indo-Caribbean person is definitely something that has come to me later in life, uh, and it is something that I'm actively working on now, but I feel I'm, like, super far behind on. Um, and I feel, uh, in terms of working my cultural identity into my drag and burlesque, I am using those mediums to explore that identity for me. But uh, often, and what I've heard the whole time I've worked in nightlife is that I'm not doing it. I'm not discovering uh, my Indo-Caribbean culture quick enough and I'm not presenting it in a way that is what audiences are looking for. Uh, and I think that's a problematic thing to say, uh, like in all cases from all the people that's coming from. It's like a massive microaggression. It plays into the hypersexualization of uh, South Asian bodies and Caribbean bodies and the places where we on this panel intersect in that. Um, it's a weird, I do want to represent my culture, but I am representing my culture by existing on these stages and by taking up spaces on these stages uh, and have been doing that for some time on many stages where I was the only person like that, that looked like me, that was the only person of color, was the only queer person. And after I came out as gender fluid, uh, was often the only gender non-conforming person in these spaces. And the whole time, I have been doing my best to present my Indo-Caribbean identity at the point that I understand it in my journey. So that is something that will continue to evolve um, as I learn more and decide what I want to uh, share with my audiences. Um, but it's definitely like a long journey that will take me a number of years. Um, it's going to be a slow journey. Uh, I'm presenting things that I want to present to my audience as opposed to what my audiences would like me to present to them. That is definitely something that's very important. But uh, by being present and holding space on these stages has definitely informed my identity. And by meeting people who uh, we have intersecting identities, specifically in terms of meeting other Indo-Caribbean people. So like meeting uh, people on this panel uh, specifically, like meeting Tifa and the Majuria, and then Tifa introducing me to Sundari. This have all been like really impactful moments in my life is um, finding people who look like me and who are uh, experiencing the same struggles with ethnic identity and cultural identity uh, as I am. Uh, so that's been very special and I feel it's definitely important and it's special and it's also my journey that's happening at its old time at its own time. And I think it's a privilege to be able to share that with so many wonderful audiences and to be able to meet uh, all of these beautiful people in exchange. Yeah. I don't know if you have any follow-up questions or if I covered all the things I was supposed to cover. 
I love that answer. No, that was beautiful. In truth, there's no pressure to respond to all the questions. I guess really whatever calls you in that answer and that answer is just filled with, with truth. It is your journey at your own space and it shouldn't be pressured by what other people want. It's you going at your pace. And I think that is something really crucial to remember when we think about identity. Identity is not a monolith. It doesn't exist the same way for everyone. And we're sorting out these questions of identity and belonging and placemaking in our own capacity at our own time in what is what works for us as an individual and that is what you're doing and, and I appreciate the the truth and beauty in that answer of yours thank you would you like to go next Sundari thank you Alex uh, I mean it's this Listening to all of you have all inspired me so much uh, to continue this work. And, you know, um, starting out um, at, a, at a space where I wasn't sure whether or not I want to move forward in being Sundari, um, realizing that there is a need for her presence um, in, in the wider community and giving voice to our community. You know, I didn't even know I was doing activism work um, with with art um, until I've, you know, ventured out into various different spaces and in lectures and listening to and meeting individuals like Tifa um, and hearing about the various different identity work that's being done in the diaspora um, have really inspired me into, in molding me into where um, I've now been able to use performing arts via drag um, as a drag artist to bridge bridge various different gaps within our Caribbean diaspora here in New York. Um, and it's amazing to see the work that's being done across the diaspora um, in the Caribbean in, um, you know in in various in, in North America as well in, in Canada. you know it's incredible to see that we have there are so many of us that have this um, passion for change and passion for um, inspiring, inspiring different communities to come together and to bring people together and really uplift the various different struggles that we're having and we continue to face within our community. Um, I feel like I feel that majority of the times my art, especially around drag, really give voices to our community oftentimes you know being in a space where it's uncomfortable standing in a room of heterosexuals where where majority of the time it's a cultural space but you're that one person in that room who their identity is probably in que is in question or what they look like and oftentimes you know there's so many of us that's in the room like that um, I feel oftentimes my drag gives faces and give voices to those individuals um, and creating comfortableness. A lot of times uncomfortableness in, make, creates movement and a, um, a lot of the work I've, um, that have inspired me comes from um, listening to podcasts like, like this. So um, I, I'm really glad I'm able to be able to share this with all of you. And, you know, I, I do want to say, in Tifa, a lot of, a lot of your work my sister, you have inspired me so much throughout my years of, of, of 
working with you and listening to all of the amazing work that you all have been doing and recently getting to meet Pujiri and working during the pandemic with many of you um, to continue bridging the various different gaps, creating visibility um, and ensuring that our wider community, um, whether whether they are queer, trans or um, still trying to figure out their identity, um, no, no one feel that they are not alone. And I'm so happy to be able to share all of this with many of you. And I think that this work continues. This work needs to continue using art, as Tifa had mentioned. You know, it's it's a way of expression to know that this is what future could be. This is what a this is what um, how spaces should feel in being included. Um, oftentimes, as a openly queer entertainer. I have been personally omitted from various different spaces. Um, and now with Sundari, the Indian goddess, we get to be able to open that door for not, um, various different identities of performances that can happen in a cultural space. Um, and this type of work continues with all of us. Um, and I think it takes um, each and every one of us to do this. And um, I encourage many of us to continue following each other and learning and sharing our story in that way many of those who those voices that have that are still muted couldn't be empowered thank you so much sundari would you like to go next bijou of course well thank you so much uh everyone Every, uh, like hearing you um is just inspiring and uh comforting also in ways to see that the things that aren't exactly solved um in our own journey are also not necessarily solved you know in others and <laughs> other people's journeys um your first uh the first question i think was had to do with misconceptions maybe about the art form and um i've been thinking a lot about drag as um I started drag, I was like in my, I was 36 or 7 or something. So it's not something that I I ever saw as like, this is going to be my main thing for all of my life, you know. And um, I don't know now how, like I think it'll always be part of my life, but I think th that drag race has really changed uh, individuals' um relationships with drag in a way that makes it very career-based and um, American dream sort of situation and uh, fame driven and um, if that's what you're interested in go for it <laughs> but I think we have to sorry my, f my phone is ringing so I'll just stop it and I'll rewind a little bit. Um, yeah, so if those are things you're interested in, that's perfect for you, maybe. But I think we should start like not no like normalizing or bringing back to the forefront that drag is something you can flow in and out of. It's something that can help you explore. Um, it's a playground. Um, it's an art form that can help with community building and not necessarily uh, 
yeah, um, like hoisting yourself up to be better than everyone. And the there's something about. Uh, I mean, I still watch Drag Race, even if I'm a bit. Uh, I watch it way more critically, and I'm uh, I, I'm saturated uh, by it. But I think for anyone starting drag, to just remember that you know it, it doesn't need to be with the goal of of conquering the world, because that's a weird mind mind frame. <laughs> I think you know. So um, I've I I don't know. I'm really reflecting about this a lot um, these days, and also I think that. Um, uh, I've mentioned it before, but I, I was an artist before drag, and um, the type of um, relationship I had with audiences was not one of getting immediate gratification. You know, if you present something, if you present a show in a live space, people will maybe three people will come up to you or and, and say congrats but like many people leave with the experience and you just trust that they took something from it or that or, you know um, and I think uh, social media has a way of um, uh, of making it seem like art making has to have a instant gratification in the form of likes and followers and things like that but the thing is if people aren't liking your picture like they might have been you know doing something else with their life than being on their phone you know so uh, and that's great you know for them <laughs> so I, th I feel like uh, the there's something about narcissism and uh, self-centeredness about drag that is one of the things i struggle with but also because I, I i do also i mean i'm not not narcissist you know what i mean like i'm on stage and i want i want i'm i love I love that energy, you know, of, of being like featured <laughs> on the stage and, and and cheered on, you know. But yeah, I I don't know. These are just a, a few random thoughts about maybe how uh, how much misconception there is about drag just because of the way that there is one predominant model for it now, and it's very mainstream. It's very exclusive uh, because. Um, 99% of people that have gone through this process are cis uh, gay males and drag communities are not that so um, yeah I think it's it, and, and Alex you've done a, a great job in um, unpacking that and making that clear in your in your descriptions and I thank you for that thank you so much for that uh, that reflection bijou this brings us to the end of my questions for today, but I just want to thank you all for being a part of this conversation, for making the time for me, for making the time for this podcast. And it's been so special to share space with you, to be in conversation with you, and to hear your experiences, whether they be different or similar, and, and, and build a community space in this conversation together with all of you. Thank you so much. <laughs>